All I want is to make a future for this family. All I want is to be able to stand in front of my boy like my father never was able to do to me and tell him that he'll be somebody in this world besides a servant and a chauffeur. That's Sidney Poitier, the iconic and groundbreaking actor who died last month. Most of the tributes to Poitier focused on his brilliant acting, for which he received innumerable awards, as well as his advocacy for civil rights. But as Kathy Newman pointed out in a column for Working Class Perspectives, before he became an actor, Poitier worked as a dishwasher, construction worker, and longshoreman. Famously choosy about his roles on screen, he played a number of working class characters throughout his career and was proud of his working class and immigrant roots. Kathy, a frequent guest on this podcast, is a professor of English, literary, and cultural studies at Carnegie Mellon University, where she teaches and writes about labor, class, film, and media. We've got a link to her column, Sidney Poitier, Nobody You Can Boss Around, in the show notes, along with links to the films we discuss. I'm Chris Garlock. Here's Labor Goes to the Movies co-host, Elise Bryant. What I really appreciate is that, you know, growing up, I, we knew nothing about Sidney Poitier. Absolutely nothing. And even though he was absolutely my first love, <laughs> movie star crush was Sidney Poitier. I knew nothing about his life until I read your article. So thank you very much. Oh, yeah. I'm... I mean, tell me, tell me a little bit about what it was like to grow up with Poitier as a matinee idol and just, you know, what, what was that like? Well, as, as you, well, there was a dearth of uh, uh, African-American sheroes or heroes uh, at that time. I mean, we were looking at Amos and Andy. Beulah, the one where she was the cook, uh, the sister was the cook in the, in the white family's home. Um, and that's what we had. And we watched them religiously because they were black folks. And even though nobody told us that, we just did. And when Sidney Poitier came along, it was like, ah, Clark Gable, Cary Grant, we finally got one of our own. And I didn't think that at the time. It's only uh, in reflection as an adult that I look back and said, oh, yeah. No, no I knew he was my first crush, but I didn't get the, the lack of um, that was there. So, yeah, it was... I think it would have been hard to know much about Poitier's biography. He didn't, you know, he really got that Bahamian accent out of his of his natural way of speaking, right? He really changed so much about how he talked. You know, he, you know, he just didn't seem like an immigrant who grew up on a tomato farm, you know, in another country. You know, he right. just he he just didn't transmit that, I don't think. I, I wondered if it would make sense to start by talking about the roles that he became so beloved for in 1967. He was in three movies that year, To Sir With Love, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and Heat of the Night. And those were the movies that when he died, people went back to them. They showed mm -hmm. clips from mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. he is so suave and debonair and tailored in those, in those three movies. Mm -hmm. we, we don't associate him with his working class background, I think, from those films. Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. I totally agree with you that that was, 
Yeah, he was smart. You know, I would have thought he went to Harvard and I mean, that's the, the story I had made up in my head based on those films. Uh, but when you said, no, he was, and he was really proud of his working class background. I was like, oh, that's news to me. But yeah, they were, they're classics. And so it's, it's well, Chris, did you want to jump in here before I go off on another? No, chance? I just wanted to say that, 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 you know, pointing us to those earlier films, which, you know, I'd never seen Lilies of the Field at all. In fact, when I read about it, I thought, oh my God, this sounds terrible. Uh, I actually really, really liked it. Uh, I will say I watched uh, Blackboard Jungle last night and I had trouble getting through it. If it wasn't for Poitier, frankly, I would not have watched that movie. I, I really didn't like it at all um, for a number of reasons, but Poitier is fabulous in it. And so I think I really appreciate you bringing, because I, I agree, I really had this one idea of Poitier in my mind from those classic films and to go back and see his early work through the lens of thinking of him as a working class person was a real revelation. And would you call him his white t-shirt rolls? <laughs> <laughs> literally, literally, by the that way. That is literally. so good, because that was Lily's of the field. I was oh, like, yeah. can you take off that t-shirt one more time? <laughs> just for release, just for release. Before I saw the movie, I thought, oh, maybe this movie worked because you know maybe you know you you cast this incredibly hot young black man yes with nuns and so there's <laughs> no there's gonna but there is some like they clearly are into him oh you yeah know? Oh, they yeah. they're interested in him and so I I you know when I thought oh the premise okay nuns they're really trying to desexualize uh, Poitier's character, but I felt like there was rapport and there was a kind of sexual tension between him and several of the nuns uh, in the story. You can't put him in those tight blue jeans or white jeans, as it were, and have him take off his shirt at least three times. I wasn't counting, in the film. <laughs> <laughs> and not and not and, and have it remain desexualized. It was just like such a contradiction. Yeah, because that's what I thought. I thought, oh, well, they're putting him with these nuns. But, and, and also the incredible improbability that some free ranging black dude is roving around BF Arizona, hooking up with some German nuns with his, with his Latinx uh, bartender best friend. Loved him, by the way, loved that character. <laughs> oh, I did, I did. And I, I so knew he was not Latinx. I was like, okay, all right. Right, right. What, whatever, you know, he's a character actor. Let's pull him in for this was just amazing, amazing. I mean, it was, it was really a fantasy in that time of turmoil where they were try, clearly trying to appeal to the audience and say, look, here's a nice Negro, nice guy, right? Help him with the nun. We know nothing about his background. We know the nuns escaped from East Germany. We know the nuns are like, what do we know about Sydney's character's background? We know he's a jack of all trades. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We know he has a car. That's about it. That's it. Does he have parents? Does he have an ex-wife? Does he have a girlfriend? Does he have a boyfriend? Is he got a dog? Does his dog died? You know, why is he on the road by himself? Which is very, very odd in and of itself. Because he's clearly is not an introvert, right? If he were this introverted character, you know, shy, withdrawn, and internal, it would make sense. But no, he's extra he's extroverted. He's teaching them to sing. Amen. <laughs> 
what? <laughs> I wanted to ask you because you always you always are about the music, Elise, and I wanted to ask you about that scene because it really is an amazing scene, isn't it? It and, is. And just it for is. folks who are listening who haven't seen the film, which you should, by the way, it's out. It's you know, oh, it's yeah. on Netflix mm -hmm. or whatever. But it's a but describe the scene, and I'd love to hear your response as as a music person. Well, he's sitting at the, the dinner table with them, right? This isn't breakfast, right? I think this is their first meal together. And he starts singing, amen, 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 amen. So I surveyed my sisters. And I said, do you all remember hearing this song before this movie? And we all agreed we never heard it before. Really? It was not sung in our church. So we so I'm really unclear as where it came from. But then he gets them to sing along and it gets into this whole thing where they're just like going back and forth and calling you know, call and responding and with this great joy. And this is their this is their time to connect with the That's music. Right. That's and right. And this and music goes past language and all our fears and phobias or whatever, but you know, it's where you find common ground. And it's in that moment that they really connect, you know, spiritually. One thing I found fascinating about his his kind of over the table connection with the nuns is that there's two jobs for which his character is not being paid. Mm -hmm. One is building the chapel. The other is teaching them English. Yes. He becomes oh, an English teacher. That's right. And he's that's just right. sort of like naturally gifted at teaching English. It's English lesson time. I build a chapel. I build a chapel. You build a chapel. You build a chapel. Oh, we build a chapel. We build a chapel. He built the chapel. Amen. 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 Jordan, where John was baptizing and saving all sinners. See him at the seaside, talking with the fishermen and making them disciples. Marching Jerusalem over palm branches. In pomp and splendor, see him in the garden, praying to his father in deepest sorrow. Led before Pilate, then they crucified him, but he rose on Easter. Amen. 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 
And he lives forever. just starts doing it you know through song and uh so um that was something on the one hand i do see him as really standing up for his rights you know he tells the head nun he says i'm nobody to be bossed around and i and it's a really powerful moment he kind of makes jokes about how he's not going to be her slave Mm -hmm. but he is never paid no that's right that's right in fact he gets a job so he can he can bring like junk food into the house because all they have is like potatoes and cabbage. Right. So it's, that is sort of a problematic aspect of, of that, of the labor relationship there. I I totally agree. I was having, I I had a lot of, first of all, the whole, you know, I'm not a big nun fan to begin with a religious fan. And it's again, the whole premise when I read, I just was having trouble wrapping my mind around it um and didn't Clint Eastwood do a movie with nuns too it must be a thing but um but I'm I'm sitting there thinking this is wage theft I mean it, it and, and I didn't even think about the, te- the, the 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 language lessons I'm just thinking about you know the manual labor that he's being ripped off for you know um but yeah I I, I mean in the end it got me I was on board but you know it took a while well, what got me was the scene where they start working collectively. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes. Describe that. Describe that because it is a wonderful scene. It really, yeah, it is. It is. You were talking before about the protagonist changing. Right. That's, yeah. that's the moment when he changes, right? Yes, 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 yes. Did you want to well, you you describe that scene? Do you agree, Kathy? Do you agree? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, it, it reminds me a little bit of, um, that movie witness that's set in an Amish community where right. they all raise Harrison a barn Ford, together. Yes. Yeah. Anytime you see a bunch of people working collectively, I think for those of us, you know, in the movement, it's like, that's, that's our ideal. That's sort of our dream. And it's a religious dream here, which I I'm, I'm with Chris. I don't identify that with that. Um, I do think it's interesting to think about this movie as being made in 1963. JFK is president. Mm-hmm. I think Sound mm-hmm. of Music has already been made, or maybe that's 65. So there is kind of like a, a burgeoning of Catholicism in popular culture, I think, mm-hmm. uh, in this moment. Um, but there is just something so beautiful about seeing people work together. And I, and I think the thing about that scene is that, you know, it's the, the, the nun, the head nun in particular, has had this vision of building this church. And then Poitier, you know, somehow gets on board with this vision and, and this, this key moment when, when, you know, all the community shows up and wants to help and Poitier doesn't, he turns them down. He doesn't right. want them. And this is the folks who have been coming to the church in the parking lot, right. by the way. I mean, it's a right. very interesting cross-cultural moment, especially mm-hmm. looked at through our eyes when you've got, you know, Black and white and Latinos and and you can see it coming and Poitier is like no I'm good because he has this very frankly American individualistic you know I'm going to build this myself 
and that yeah. th when he's sitting there, you know, lying there watching them trying to do stuff, and and it all kind of falls apart. It would, I, I, that would, I think that's when I got, I mean, I, I, I really got into it at that moment. And you know, I think, I, you know, I have no data to back this up, but I think they were the authentic people. Like, I don't think these were character actors. I, I <laughs> felt <laughs> that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Latinx uh, workers that they hired, if they paid them to be in this movie to do this part, because they were serious. <laughs> I mean, they were serious. They like went to work and they went at it. And I just thought, wow, this is, this is amazing. But, and what's interesting is when the, the, the construction company, uh, Lincoln Continental driving white guy shows up, to to get Sydney wants to get Sydney back on the job, and then you know says, "Oh my God, this happened," and then donates material. I'm like this is some real Hollywood fantasy stuff happening here, y'all. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, let's. And it's described as a comedy. Do you think it's a comedy? I did. It's pretty funny. It doesn't. So maybe it's just me. <laughs> I don't get the comedy of it because I couldn't. I couldn't immerse I mean, myself. It, I, I would say it's funny, but I agree with you that I it didn't strike me as a comedy, but it is funny. So I'm not sure what the diff, maybe it's a difference without a distinction or whatever. Right. So, uh, but I, I certainly would not put that in the like in the Netflix comedy. Oh. Row. I mean, people tuning in to see Sydney Poitier in a comedy would be a bit surprised. I mean, it's it's not. It's not a rolling on the floor kind of a thing, but it is funny. It is. Lots of funny moments. But we, we really see him as the, the working class hero here, for sure. Right. And the protagonist in that he, he makes that change. But what about Blackboard Jungle? Oh, please. We got to talk about Blackboard Jungle. Can I? Can I? <laughs> Just remind us of the plot, because I, I did rewatch. I, I rewatched No Way Out and The Defiant Ones, but I have not gone back to watch uh, Blackboard Jungle. I mean, Blackboard Jungle is is in this. It's it's, it's another genre that I really don't like. Which is, I was, in fact, I was telling uh, Lisa, my wife, about it this morning. I was like, "Oh, didn't you do you remember seeing Reefer Madness? Yeah, it's Reefer Madness for juvenile delinquents. Yeah, you know, which yeah. is which is you know a film that was made with all you know quote unquote good intentions about yes. you know the, they have a statement the, the, at the opening of the film that says it, we're doing this because we're concerned about juvenile delinquency. It's fictional. It's yeah. fictional. Oh. But we're, but we're concerned, and then, and then and then, and and the characters are just the you know the 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 the, the young thugs are they're, they're giving no redeeming except for except for the good Negro. That's because, right. You know. That's right. I mean, One you can already see him carving out that that role. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But. He's the only one who's given any redeeming and everybody else is just, you know, and, 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 and to underline the point, they almost, you know, force his wife to miscarry. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's the, that's like, in case, in case these guys weren't bad enough, let's just throw that shit in there. I, I, I just had real, you know, and real trouble with that. And then, you know, throwing in all the hip daddy -o lingo to kind of make it that the one thing I will say, and 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 at least I, I found this in doing a little bit of research and I thought you'd appreciate this. Uh, so they opens and closes with rock around the clock. Yeah, right. First time, first time that pop music had been used, a rock and roll had been used in a film, in a, in a major film. I mean, it's, 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 you know, done all, you know, subsequently became, you know, everybody did it, but it was the first time. Interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah. This was a really interesting uh, song to choose to open the film. Go ahead, Kathy, you're gonna say something. Oh, I was just gonna say, I think that is in some ways what the film is better known for than the plot or the character, mm. or mm. it's mm. sort of, it's, it's almost known for kind of breaking rock and roll into mm -hmm. Hollywood. Um, Elvis is, has been performing, but I think doesn't perform on TV until, is it 56? So, you know, this is really, this is kind of a pre-rock and roll moment for, yeah. for, for mass culture writ large for, for Hollywood film. Mm -hmm. um, and I was noticing in the Defiant Ones, which is 58, there's a character who's got a transistor radio that he wears in like a fanny pack or like kind of a, <laughs> like a cross body bag that he, he carries his transistor radio. And so there's a constant kind of rock and blues soundtrack to uh, the, the police chase of the fugitives. Cause it's one mm -hmm. of these mm -hmm. uh, vigilantes who's helping mm -hmm. to track down the fugitives that's, mm -hmm. that's wearing this radio and playing this music throughout. I want to talk about that one, but let me just finish up with um, that, that there was uh, the in, in um, Blackboard Jungle, there is a really good, uh, there, there's some real, from a teacher perspective, forget about the fact that the teaching techniques are terrible, but um, but there is a really good discussion about um, about pay. I mean, there's this one section where he talks yes. about $2, yes. he runs down, and I'm sure that these numbers are accurate, you know, that at $2, is it two dollars? Two dollars an hour. Two dollars an hour, mm -hmm. and they and 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 basically everybody makes more than teachers, which frankly has not changed since then, as far as I can tell. So that that I thought was a very interesting piece of of sort of class awareness uh, to get in there. And I, I appreciated that. The the rest of it, yeah. and 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 Poitier does is brilliant in it, and his. His change, I will say, even though you absolutely know what's going to happen, but I, I, I bought his change. You know, it, 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 it wasn't. It made like the other, the bad guy who gets even worse than he was in the beginning. I was like, yeah, whatever. Um, and and, and uh, seeing Paul Mazursky and um, Radar is in there. There's a bunch of interesting early uh, pieces, but it's it's uh, it, it's it's cringingly. I mean, to to watch that movie, it's it's interesting how some films and Kat is is a pop culture person. I mean, it's so fascinating to me how some we just showed Babies and Banners, and and I was amazed how Babies and Banners really really holds up. But to me, something like Blackboard Jungle, uh, Jungle, I just ouch. Yeah. It's it's based on the book as is Lilies of the Field. So I went and looked at the book that Lilies of the Field was was um, based on because I want to get an idea of what that was about uh, but I didn't I didn't look up this one but I I really I, I really did think that um, the view of this hopelessness and and terror and and how he finally brings the class together with the cartoon film of Jack and the Beanstalk mm -hmm. I, I I gotta believe that comes from the book because <laughs> it's just like from out of space but the, and also the same thing with the scene where they're talking about the wage it was like Wow, that's right. really interesting. I would love to hear more about that than the whining and moaning about being in the school when you have an option to go someplace else. I, I, it, was, it was awfully odd in terms of accepting the, the conflict within it. Uh, and the same thing with the woman, the other school teacher, the attractive school teacher with the tiny waist and the great legs. And it was just like, and she's coming on to 
Glenn a, Ford. a married man with a with a pregnant <laughs> wife? Seriously, come on. I, yeah, I was just like, get 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 out of here, get out of here, and and the whole the whole the whole rape scene when it comes up. Oh I mean, my I, god. I, I was like, oh, okay. Uh, I, I saw that coming too. I mean, this is like bad boys are us. And and the, the ethnic mix of the group and the whole piece of it. Okay, then sorry. No, but <laughs> that Big was Marl's a... character, Big Marl's character is the character who's doing all the plotting. And, and as far as we can tell, he's just a, a resentful, angry, internalized, uh, you know, a bully, but he's the one writing the notes and mailing them to her home. I'm just like, this guy is good. I, I thought it was one of the teachers because I couldn't believe that this guy had to, any of them had the potential to be writing letters in really good handwriting. I don't know if you notice. Know <laughs> <laughs> but, Kat, but Kathy, isn't there a whole sort of working class? I mean, to me, what was implied was that these kids are all, and it's, it's actually mentioned, you know, their parents went out, their fathers went off yes. to war, the women yes. were working, and there's a whole yes. implied, yes. like a whole other movie of how these kids came to be how they are. Yeah. And and I need, I wanted just some of that to, you know, because these kids, and I, and I think this is to your point, at least, is that they're just put up the, as these, as these stock bad characters, they even beat them up in the alley, as opposed to they're all coming from broken homes or problematic homes, working class homes. They're all working by, as far as I can tell, every single one of them has a job. And except for the Poitier character, you don't know what any of them do. By the way, that scene where he goes to, to work, right? Uh, yeah. And as a mechanic, and that's that, you know, and, and that's why he doesn't care about school because he's just going to be a mechanic. So what the hell is the point? That, by the way, was yeah. was that that's if it, if it had done a we didn't need to do it for all the characters, but maybe no. for the Vic Morrow character, yeah, it would have given it it would have been a better movie. Yeah, I do think that that sociology was in the air. This is actually mm -hmm. kind of late mm -hmm. in the juvenile mm -hmm. delinquent debate. Mm -hmm. uh, that debate is kind of winding down in 1955, mm -hmm. but it really peaked in like 51, 52. Comic books were on trial, as mm -hmm. you probably know, mm -hmm. during this time as being uh, purveyors of juvenile delinquency. Um, so I, I think this is kind of a, you know, here we get the teacher's perspective. Uh, so that it was, you know, it was kind of an attempt to get on that bandwagon, but it was a little bit late. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the reason why the movie ends up being significant for Poitier's career is that Robert Allen Arthur goes to see this film and is so struck by his performance that he makes a case to cast him. He's one of the television writers for the Philco television hour. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they've been canceled. And so he said, let's put an African-American actor in our last hurrah in our last episode because you know they're unique episodes they're more like movies of the week mm -hmm. than they are like a narrative that mm -hmm. continues mm -hmm. so he writes uh, a, a script called a man uh, a man is 10 feet tall for Sidney Poitier to play the main mm -hmm. character mm -hmm. and so I think that I, I agree with a lot of your criticisms of Blackboard Jungle but it's interesting to think about how pivotal it is for Poitier's career, that it made him seem like a star that could carry a whole story. No, he he he, I, he lights up the screen. He absolutely. I mean, I I I I 
I mean, part of the problem is that every time he's not on screen, you it's just you know, just you're just waiting for it. Go, get 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 Cindy back in here. Get you know. <laughs> so it was made in it's nineteen fifty five, the same year that they did Rebel Without a Cause. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yes. Which is a much better version of this story, right? Because you see right. it from the kid's point of view, uh-huh. and um, yeah, there's more of an explanation of what is driving kids to uh, go against society in this but, way. But beyond that, they're just evil seas. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's helpful. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. Moving on, moving on, because I really want to talk about Edge of the City, which I also, yes, it has some clunky stuff, but I, I actually really wound up loving it. I really, there, there's, the, the the performances are just uh, incandescent, I thought. I really, I, I just, it had everything going for it that, that, you know, working for it as opposed to the stuff that to me made made Blackboard Jungle just really hard to watch. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, I'd love to get Elise and, and, and Karen. You know what just dawned on me? Literally, as you were saying that, Chris, and I was reflecting on the film and what you said earlier, Kathy, in terms of Sidney Poitier and his roles in Becoming a Star, is that he was exceptional in that he, I'm trying to think that of any role where there was an African-American male or female in, in a film that was that um, singularly outstanding in that the, the fact that he was black um, was not the predominant reason he was there, right? And, and I remember thinking, Lizzie the Field, was this actually written for a white character and they made the guy black? <laughs> You know, it, could, it would work, right? I mean, it's, it, it, it doesn't matter, really. I mean, there, there, yeah. there are some elements there. Uh-huh. That's a good but, point. Yeah, and in this film, he is in charge of his own gang, and, and the gang isn't all Black. That's right, right? that's right. And I, and I think about this, you know, growing up in Southwest Detroit, uh, you know, uh, in 1957, I can think, you know, I'm, I'm actually conscious, four or five, five, six years old, is that, you know, we were integrated in that, and our, Italian, our neighborhoods were Italians, Polish, and Hungarians. There was just a few Irish left, but most of them had gone, and and you and you coexisted. There was no burning of crosses. There was no uh, um, in words. I mean, it was you know these these were first generation immigrants, yeah. and so he could have a mixed crew that was black and white in that in that in that respect. So it, yeah, he it was amazing. He uh, he was the first. I mean, he was my first my first crush and my and the first real hero in that respect. He, and intelligence with intelligence. I and mean, this is a long way from step and fetch it. You know what I'm saying? Oh my goodness. He chose his role so carefully. And he said that he wouldn't play a character who had bad morals. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. But yeah, I think he, yeah. and, and he and Harry Belafonte uh, clashed over what kind of roles they accepted. In fact, Harry Belafonte was originally asked to play the role in Lilies of the Field. Oh, really? That makes sense. And he he said, no way. He said, there's nothing civil rights about this story. True that. Sidney Poitier becoming the first actor to win an Oscar, the first Black actor to win an Oscar Oscar for Best Actor Mm -hmm. is does become, I think, a, a, a milestone. I mean, maybe not as significant as it should have been because it took so long uh, for that to happen again. Um, but 
yeah, so I, I just think you're right that he 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 figures out how to get roles written for him that mm -hmm. allow him to be the the sort of the best person in the room in every scene. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's I want I would talk about um, edge of the city because the the relationship and I think at least to your point, you know, and, and I hadn't thought about it until you said it, but but it was, you know, the fact that Sydney had his own crew. Um, it was not a it was, I mean the the conflict between him and the other guy it seemed to me it was less about him being black than being somebody uh, who who wasn't who who he couldn't who the other guy couldn't control. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Agree. The thing is, a man's got to make a choice. You know, I mean, there are the men, and then there are the lower forms, and a guy's got to make a choice. You go with the men, and you're ten feet tall. You go with the lower forms, and you are down in the slime. He has a spine. He he stands up for himself. Um, and, and he's also a foreman, right? So he's in a position of power. It's a it's a loading dock, but it's not a it's not on the waterfront. It's in the rail. It's in the rail. Right, right. They work on the rail loading docks. Mm, yeah. They still have bailing hooks. So there's people compared the film to on the waterfront. Yes. Yes. Um, and his his message is you know you have to stand up for yourself you have to be tall you, you don't want to be one of the lower creatures like our boss is just one of the lower creatures and it's this white male character who's kind of cowed and introverted you know maybe today we would say he's you know on the spectrum you know he's yeah. just yeah 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 he's he's defected from the army maybe he's killed somebody in a car accident you know there's all this kind of mystery about him he's not really a juvenile delinquent he's just a dropout you know he yeah. just can't he can't keep it together yeah but i i would use as an example of comparison comparing uh sydney Poitier's character and lilies of the field we knew a lot more about john cassavetes mm. yes that's right a lot more. I mean, all the things you just said. It was like, oh gosh, he's doing this. He got this, and he got this, and he going. Yeah. Well, and interesting that now that you point that out, we we don't really know that much about Sid. I mean, we know he's married. We know, you know, a lot of the workplace stuff, but mm -hmm. you, we don't have much insight into his interior life. No. Um, Why is he taking to this guy? that that is a really good question i because it's like immediately like right away i gotcha yeah i'll stand up for you i'm like what what charlie he's nothing i mean he can't hurt you he can't hurt you like in my life charlie ain't that much well that's the difference between us t because in my life it's all charlie look t i'm in trouble i can go to jail for 20 years so Robert Allen Arthur claimed that he knew somebody like Tommy Tyler, that character's mm -hmm. name, in mm -hmm. the 40s, and that mm -hmm. he worked in college to make money. He worked on the docks in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. um, on the river. Uh, is that right? It would be on mm -hmm. the river. So yeah. he claimed, and that he claimed he saw a fight similar to the fight that is in the climax of this film between Tommy Tyler and uh, the boss. 
Um, so I think Robert Allen Arthur is kind of scarred by this or this, this kind of makes a frame for him. Hmm. He, he writes um, racially integrated stories for the rest of his career. This is like one oh, of his passion ideas. Interesting. So it's, I think it's easy to imagine that Robert Allen Arthur is much closer to the Cassavetes character mm -hmm. and knows something about his life because there's some biographical identification with that, that character. Makes sense. Sure. But this is true um, almost every film where there's a major uh, Black actor and the rest of the actors are white. They will give you way more information about them yeah. than they will any, you know, than they do that <clears throat> character African-American descent. <clears throat> but I think the impossible cheerfulness of Poitier's character is something that marks some of his other performances, right? But it's just, it really is head scratching. Like, why is he always in such a good mood? Like, what, what is he on? You know, like, he's just, he is ridiculously cheerful. Because uh, that's the other stereotype of African-Americans. Thank with you. The blue smile. Yep. My mother insisted that none of us could smile for our graduation pictures from high school. We all look like this. None of us are smiling. And she said, don't show any teeth. Don't show any teeth. So said, why? Black, dark skin and those white, white teeth. Yeah. So why? Why, why, why did your mother say that? Because that's the caricature of, of, of um, Black um, Samboism, for lack of a better word. Ah, okay. Big, big, big smile, big got, got smile, it. black face on. And, and Sydney has that... It, naturally has that smile, which is part of the ancestry that actually And when you have dark skin, it's more contrasting. Right. But I wonder if one way that he re-inhabits that stereotype is that he is both cheerful and non-subservient. Yeah. So, you well, know, we, we associate he's taller than everybody that else. He's taller than everybody. They actually cast him with a cast, with the rest of the cast. There's nobody in height in, in the room. He's standing above them, literally, as well as figuratively. Yeah. Hmm. And he's, you know, he's heroic in that. Yes. And there's nothing, there's nobody else. There's nothing, there's no other African-American actors of that, literally of that stature in that time. And up until really recent, there were, there were in, in um, black produced movies, but we didn't see them until three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. It's when they would show those, those films. Yeah, it, it really, it just really worked worked well you know and, and and the other thing that i really liked about edge of the city was it you really do get a feel for that workplace as a workplace oh yeah and, and the work yeah. which mm -hmm. i appreciated it's something mm -hmm. that you just i mean it felt like a real um a real place and and you you had that that sense of of, of physical labor and danger and so when when the fight which you know is coming happens um it, it has a a, a a grittiness about it that that actually works um and you know the way they casually just keep slinging those hooks over their shoulders i i have to say that even though i know his death was coming it mm. hurt i did it, it, it hurt. did it, hurt. it, hurt. it, hurt. it did yeah no. I kept, I kept trying to figure out how can, how, how do we get to a happy ending here? I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen. No. Yeah. Yeah. Black audiences hated, you know, what happened to his character. In this oh, yeah. oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This is, this is like, you know, yeah. 
It's like uh, Dawn of the Dead. No, was it Dawn of the Dead? What's the original zombie movie? Dawn of the Living Dead. Dawn of the Living Dead. Oh, and yes. Living Dead. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, was, I was in Detroit in a, in a predominantly African, no, all black audience. And when the brother dies, literally, one, it was silence. And one person said, they killed the brother. And then the theater <laughs> wor- broke out. Telling <laughs> you. And broke out. <laughs> yeah. And that's a, that was that moment in that film. Um, uh, yeah. And you know, you know, that's what, when the fight starts, you know that that's where it has to end. But I'm thinking, well, Sydney wouldn't, Sydney wouldn't go for that. Sydney would, you know. But Ooh, you, I mean, Sydney too smart for that. He wouldn't do that. Ooh. But there's no other way for it to end. And, and, but the, I want the moment when he when um, uh, Cassavetes is cradling him and 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 you know it's a really it's it's a it's quite a moment. I mean, it's really. I mean, knowing more about Cassavetes' career, obviously, it, it actually totally makes sense that Cassavetes would do that. But I, I will say that in that moment, there's a there's yeah. a yeah yeah. I mean, you really yeah. feel it. I mean, mm-hmm. he's he's not just he's not just sort of cradling him in this picturesque sort of. I mean, he really, yeah, yeah. You you feel that, and and I think it's one of the things that, even though I I totally agree that I, I didn't understand the immediate connection and their bonding and all that, but you want to believe that you want you want them you want that relationship, and I you know and that's what they're trying to talk about they're trying to and, and I, yeah. I have to say that watching that movie with 2022 eyes you know I'm thinking damn you know we have come so far and yet not so far and and that 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 relationship that idealized Hollywood black white relationship and we can talk about defiant ones as well you know that movie is dated in some ways and yet not i mean you could you could remake that movie today oh, yeah. it would it would still work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i i you guys will appreciate this more than most i was preparing for today's uh conversation and i happened upon a radio interview that studs turkle did with oh. poitier uh-huh. in 59 wow okay. Wow. Where he gets Poitier to talk about both Defiant Ones and Edge of the City. Mm-hmm. And Poitier talks about the love that the male characters had for each other in both mm-hmm. films. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he said, this is a love. He said, I don't know if it's a romantic love. He said, it's a spiritual love. He says, it reminds me of the love that you see running through Eastern philosophy. Wow. Uh, and... I mean, it's it's a fantastic interview and Studs Terkel is so great. Uh, um, but it really made me think that, again, Poitier was pretty intentional in choosing these roles where his character dies, but there's still this, this bond that I think, even though we're kind of like, we're kind of confused as to why these this this amazing black man takes this loser white dude under his wing. Like we do believe that they that they have a connection. Uh, they do make us believe in that connection. So here's a thought that came to me, Kathy, and um, for, and this is from um, Blackboard Jungle. Is this is post World War II into the Korean War, mm-hmm. and and African Americans and European Americans are on the battlefield together. Hmm. 
right? And they're and they're seeing each other die and kill and 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 they had to form relationships as as, as war would make you do. Yeah. And so it, it comes after that. And so yeah, it's 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 believable that and 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 really challenges the times that they're in that you could be human together. I think that's a really good observation and something I noticed in uh, rewatching the Defiant Ones, I watched it last night, was that there's World War II or war, um, war is referenced a lot by the, by the law enforcement. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so there's a, there's a kind of military campaign that's being replayed in this chase, in this hunt. Um, but I think you're absolutely right that integration is imagined by liberals as something that will that will that we need to fight the cold war mm -hmm. we mm -hmm. need to get along in order to fight russia mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and in fact russia uses bad race relations in the u.s as an argument for why the united states shouldn't have this kind of cultural supremacy in the to, globe. to this to this day by the way to this day to this day i want to finish up with that defiant ones but i just want to um uh, on edge of the city. So one of the things that, uh, that occurred to me that at least just reminded me of is, is this the first, is this a legitimate instance of the, the magical Negro? Yeah, he's all understanding and all uh, empathetic. He I mean, understands he, Jack Weston's character. Is it Jack Weston? No, Jack. He, di he died, I mean, he dies for him. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, you know, and he's the one who gets him to go back to his family. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking there's no, I mean, and this is maybe just me, you know, because I'm like, we could have done all that shit without Sydney dying, right? Yeah, but somebody has to die for the cause. Must Jesus bear the cross alone? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> if you're that good, you got to die. But it's just, it's just, but once you start seeing the magical Negro, it's just everywhere. They're just everywhere. And it's just like, and, and I just have to say, I mean, people, were people tired of that shit? I guess it's work, right? I mean, you know, and it can't Let's be go back good. to Dawn of the Living Dead. Yes. Thank you, right? <laughs> you save everybody. You get through the zombies and then you die. That's not they, right. They killed the brother. Right. They killed the brother. No, Mark <laughs> Gable doesn't die at the end of no, the No, he does Thank you. Right. right? Cary Grant doesn't die at the end of bringing up baby. I think no. it's in their contract. <laughs> The nobility of it, yes, the sacrifice. It's just I don't know. It's just me. It's just annoying to me. That's all. Anyway, moving on. Are let's... we going to go, go to um, uh, Raisin in the Sun? Which is oh yes, sorry. The Academy Award sorry. for yes, please. You got an Academy Award. Yes, please. Okay. I would say that or the Defiant. Go for it, Kathy. I mean, I think this is this is the film he should have won uh, the Oscar for Best Actor for, um, and it's it's. It's the most three-dimensional role of all yes. the roles we've talked about, obviously written by Lorraine Hansberry. Exactly. Uh, it's a completely genius story. It holds up incredibly well today. Yes. Um, I don't think I understood the first few times I saw it really what redlining was, what blockbusting mm -hmm. was. Like I didn't understand the sociology mm -hmm that it was written out of until you learned that this was basically Lorraine's ha Lorraine Hansberry's family's story. That's right, that's right, right. that's right, yeah. Um, yeah. But Hansberry gives uh, Walter such 
uh, grace, but and, and poise and eloquence, but also allows him to be flawed. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think that's what so many of Poitiers' characters don't have. There's really nothing right. wrong with him. No, right. The rest of them are like ideal superhero. And this is, yeah, Walter Lee. Yeah, Walter has, Lee younger. Yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, uh, and the the scene where uh, Willie ain't coming is. So talk talk about that a little bit for folks who haven't seen it or don't remember. Uh, right, they're um, they have. He's got this big plan where they're going to make all this money, and um, uh, they invested in this guy who's going to make this thing happen for them. At Walter Lee, younger, the, mo the money that's supposed to go to getting the new home, right? Because uh, because the mother judiciously divides it up and gives it and says, "Hey, you take the you the man of the house, Walter Lee. You take this money and you do the right thing with it." He invests it in some scam and gets ripped off, and they the guy goes, "Willie ain't coming," and and Sydney just crumbles. And that and that that I mean, there's another other part where he like goes loses it, falls apart, and goes, "Oh, yeah, what have I done?" Uh, this is something really wrong here. Uh, and then the scene with the uh, homeowners association uh, white character who comes to say, you don't really want to move in our neighborhood. Really? No. And in fact, here, we'll, make, we'll, we'll make it worth your while not to move in the neighborhood. And he has to make a decision to take the money and run. And he's told, and he's told his family that he's going to take the money. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And he decides on the spot in the middle of this amazing speech that he's not going to take it. Yeah, yeah. And you talked, Kathy, in your piece, uh, you, you quote, this it, it, is part of your argument for him as a working class actor. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, he has this line where he says, um, and it would be great, maybe if you could put the clip in here, he says, my father, what does he say? He says, my father worked hard all of his life. And he kind mm -hmm. of, and his voice cracks and breaks mm -hmm. a little. Me and my family. Because we are plain people, you know? We are plain people. Yes? I work as a chauffeur, you know? Most of my life. And my wife works in people's kitchens. And so does my mother. I mean, we are plain people. Well, Mr. Younger, my if father, you... my father was a laborer all of his life. Yes. And my father once, my father once almost beat a man to death because this man, he called him some kind of name, you know? That's my sister. And she is going to be a doctor. And we are very proud. Well, see, sure. see, we we come from a long line of proud people.
is my son. He's my son. And he makes the sixth generation, the sixth generation of my family in this country. And we have, we have all thought about your offer. And we've decided to move into our house because my father, he earned it brick by brick. So in that voice, I'm just hearing, uh, you know, thinking about his parents who are tomato mm -hmm. farmers mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that had to, had to take that very dangerous route from uh, the Bahamas to Florida to sell their produce. And at some mm -hmm. point, Florida actually blocks the import of produce from mm -hmm. uh, the Bahamas. And that's when his family falls on really hard times. Um, so I just hear that and he's a chauffeur and he says, you know, my wife is a domestic, my mother is a domestic, they have worked hard all of their life. And I feel like Hansberry is telling us that this family deserves this to, to move where they want, not only because they're African-American, but also because they are, they are working class. They have worked for this. This is their American dream. And I feel like she's, putting a stake in the ground and saying African-Americans deserve this dream, deserve to be part of this story. Agree. Well, and Elise, I think this film resonates for you on so many levels. I mean, you know, you're, you're a theater person, you're, you, oh, yeah. you, you talk, but so. Play, it still holds up as a play too. But can you talk? I mean, it's, I think this is, it seems like a sort of a foundational play and movie for you, right? Oh, absolutely. Oh, it, Raising in the Sun uh, to, to film is what Toni Morrison's book, The Bluest Eye, was to novels. I mean, I was an avid reader from the time I could first pick up a book. And I read all these books, Pippi Longstocking and Madeline and all the, the, the sheroes were little white girls and you see a little black girl. This Raisin in the Sun was that, of the black family in all of its dimensions. Not just Beulah taking care of everybody else's children, not, not uh, step and fetch it, uh, but, and, 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 and then the, not the good Negro. I mean, dimensional people, because that's who, that's who wrote it, Lorraine Hansberry, right? And in that context. So I, I, I absolutely can watch it anytime uh, and all the time uh, because of, the multiple dimensions and the reflection of our culture, which also was rare in film at that time. And we were the first, we were the second black family in our neighborhood. So, you know, we said that, that, uh, that experience. Yeah, I was thinking that that probably had a lot of resonance for you personally with, with your family. Oh yeah. oh yeah, and I love Benita, I was Benita. You know, I was gonna go to college, I like to dance, you know. She comes back with the African boyfriend. We were like, oh my God, she's like dating <laughs> African. <laughs> Which was tantamount to dating a genie or something. I mean, this was like, you know, unreal that anybody, an African was, Africa was not seen as a, uh, we, we bought the stereotype of Africa, 
being um, savages, underdeveloped. I just wanted to finish up, Kathy. I'm trying to find it. You had a really great line about about that Poitier had, had played a number of working class characters throughout his career, which again, just to go back to where we started, was just not, it really wasn't something that I was aware of because you really do think about him and who's, you know, the- uh, The doctor, yes, who's coming to the end. Mm -hmm. Right? And so to, um, I really appreciate you sort of grounding that. And, 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 and I also was not as aware that, that he, because I know that actors often have to take jobs that they don't necessarily, you know, uh, want or, or or love, and that he, and it may be, and maybe you can speak to this that that he he saw it as a job, um, and the 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 story about how he came to it and actually had to you know take a job as a janitor even to get in the door, it seems like he really. That, that really framed his whole approach. I think it did. You know, he had such humility uh, in some ways, I think because of the way he came into this profession and he, he never took it for granted. Uh, he saw, he was, he was a dishwasher at the time and he saw an ad for, you know, actors wanted. And he said, oh, this is just like that dishwasher job ad that I saw that said <laughs> dishwashers wanted. He's like, right kind of looks the same. So why don't I go try out this thing? And when he auditioned for, uh, for the theater company, um, this black theater company in New York, which had come out of the progressive kind of theater movements of the thirties, he's rejected. And they, they tell him, why don't you go be a dishwasher? And he's like, how did they know I was a dishwasher? And he, I think he just becomes obsessed and he, he changes his diction. He learns to speak by listening to the radio and watching television. There's this um, older uh, Jewish male waiter who helps him become a better reader. Uh, he basically, you know, kind of educates himself uh, in this period in order to become an actor and in an order to prove them wrong that he doesn't believe. And he's rejected a number of times he finally gets a job as a janitor and it's through that that he's able to worm his way into the company. Um, and it, it's actually similar to other working class actors of the era. Yes. Ernest Borgnine yeah. starts out as a stagehand uh, and um, Carl Malden yeah. starts out uh, in a working class uh, uh, position in a, in a theater uh, before becoming a star. So he, the, this book that I'm, that I'm writing about working class artists in this period, this was how they, they got, they got a, a break, uh, was by getting themselves into the theater somehow. Yeah, and I, I'll add to that, uh, that there was an ethos uh, yeah, that there's no job beneath you. That you can always do better and you will always work to do the better, but there's no job beneath you. You can dig ditches as long as it's honest work. And you dig the best ditches you can until you can do better. And I think that's what was reflected in Sydney Ernest Bergman, the working class actors. It's like, I'm gonna do this because a job is better than no job at all. And I know I can do better. I will be able to do that because that's the American dream, of course. Sydney's yeah. character, that, I, that's so perfectly put. And Sydney's character says this to Tony Curtis and the Defiant Ones. Tony Curtis is like, oh yeah, I worked on cars. And Poitier is like, Somebody has to work on cars. 
he's trying to convince him like have some working class pride dude like have some pride in what you know how to do yes Mm -hmm. thank you (laughs) great great ending i was trying to figure out how we were going to wrap it perfect well done kathy brings it home as usual thank you sister that's great such a wonderful conversation and yeah i just yeah so great to to be able to talk about this amazing actor amazing person that's it for today's show elise and i hope you enjoyed the conversation and that like us you're inspired to go back and rewatch or maybe see for the first time some of sydney poitier's films we've got links to those we discussed today in the show notes The D.C. Labor Film Fest Bread and Roses series has a film and book talk, Confessions of a Union Buster, coming up on Tuesday, February 8th at 7 p.m. We've got a program of short films and a Q&A with legendary union organizer Bob Mullenkamp, author of the foreword for a brand new edition of Confessions of a Union Buster. It's free, it's online, and there's a link to RSVP in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time.